Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. I would love if you would help us spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Guys, I'm so excited for you to meet my guest today. Based in Singapore, Malik Parekh is an avid entrepreneur, a highly sought after keynote speaker and author of Future Proof Your Career and Company. Prior to his entrepreneurial and literacy ventures, Malik was also an award-winning CEO of global companies such as Inspiro and SPI Global. Welcome to the podcast, Malik. Hey, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to dig in with you and talk about some of these topics today around digital disruption. I want to just start out by talking a little bit about why is this next decade kind of shaping up to be one of the most disruptive kind of errors of our time that maybe we've ever seen? Yeah, well, I ended up writing a book about it, so I have thought a lot about it, actually. <laughs> you know, in the last three years of my career as a CEO of Inspiro, I realized there were three trends that were sneaking up on us. Number one, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, there was a study done uh, recently, Natalie, by McKinsey that said that uh, by 2030, up to 375 million jobs are at risk of being obsolete because of artificial intelligence, and automation. The second thing that I noticed was that almost 90-plus percent of the people that we hired in the last three years of my job as a CEO at the company were either Gen Zers or millennials. Mm -hmm. So they were digital natives. And I dug up a little bit about that, and I realized that by 2030, two-thirds of the global workforce will be made up of millennials and Gen Zers. So the people we often discount as the soil latte drinking, headphone wearing uh, hippies. And we often think that they are just the entry-level employees or interns are most likely going to be sitting in positions of power and influence just in the next 10 years. So that's a major shift that will take place over the next 10 years in our workplace. And the third thing that I notice is that the freelancing and how popular it's becoming is changing not only who gets the job done at our organizations, but also how, when, and where. It's no longer necessary to help people showing up at your office space nine to five. More and more companies are realizing the importance and the value of adding freelancing into their workforce strategy because it gives them the flexibility of going up and down in the times of you know, crisis such as COVID-19. But it also offers kind of the freedom that people are looking for in their lives. And uh, there was a study done that said that, you know, when uh, people who left traditional employment and became freelancers, when they were asked how much money would it take for them to go back to traditional employment, Mm -hmm. and 51% of the people said uh, no amount of money can entice them back to the traditional employment anymore. So there is massive nugget of information right there as to where the world is heading over the next 10 years. Wow. Those three trends are so incredible. And I want to stay on this last one that you mentioned for a second. Um, I'm part of a movement called Work Forward that really leans into some of these topics. And the fact that no amount of money would make somebody come back to work, I think that 
if you're an employer listening to this podcast, I think the takeaway there is how can you build in that freedom into the what we kind of call the knowledge workers that may be working for you today? Because I would guarantee you then, it, based on this stat and this information that you just shared with us, that they are looking for that freedom. They just haven't found it yet. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, you hit it right on the nail, Natalie, that now employers are not just have to worry about other employers when it comes to attracting the right talent. They are also fighting against people's innate desire mm. to be the masters of their own destinies, right? So unless, to your point, they create an environment where they have the freedom, unless they create an environment where people can walk in with their ideas and can openly share with them and can potentially even manifest them at their own pace, at their own time, in their own way, people are going to be struggling to attract and retain the best talent. I agree. And then just going back to some of the things you said earlier about artificial intelligence and automation, I think, again, that's changing the landscape in a real way, along with the stat that you gave that, you know, 90% of people being hired were in that Gen Z millennial and two thirds of the workplace we made up of it. So when we look at all these, to me, these tidal waves coming, I think that the normal company is not prepared. I think 2020 accelerated some things for some organizations. You know, when I look at banking, for example, I follow Bloomberg and some of the things that high level banking executives are saying is like this work from home thing's not going to stay. We're ready to get people back in the office. And most of those people are thinking, I can't go back. Like you cannot drag me back into the office. Yeah. So there's this tension I think that's happening right now in the workforce. And I think we're ripe for some real disruption in the next, you know, even the next two to three years in terms of what jobs people are willing to take. And that's why platforms like Upwork, where you can just hire a freelancer, project-based, they can make the money they want to make. And then when they're done with that project, they don't ever have to work on that again if they didn't enjoy the experience. Like that's the wave of the future because it affords freedom and opportunity to people. Yeah, and it's, you know, having massive ripple effects on other parts of our lives, right? So I read recently that I believe it was in 2019, for the first time, New York City had a negative population growth, meaning mm -hmm. more people are leaving the city and going into the suburbs or smaller towns because many of them are embracing this freelancing wave that everybody is experiencing or their friends are experiencing. And they're like, maybe we can do that as well. And so if that is happening, imagine what will happen to the real estate, for example. What will happen to this commercial real estate in Manhattan? Yeah. What will happen to the residential real estate in some of the suburbs in New Jersey and other boroughs of uh, New York City, for example? And when people from big cities go to smaller towns, what does that mean for the political landscape, right? Typically, big cities are liberal in nature. Yeah. And smaller towns typically tend to be more conservative. Mm -hmm. So when you see that, you realize that we are not just talking about disruptions at the workplace or in our jobs. We are talking about disruption in the society in general. Wow. Yeah. That takes it to a different aspect. And, and you're also seeing people flee. Like I have several friends that have left Atlanta altogether and have either moved to Hawaii, which Hawaii yep. said, please stop sending people here. <laughs> it's too much. And then they're yeah. also moving to Florida. So we're seeing kind of this, to your point, this migration of populations, which is for sure going to 
disrupt the political and kind of social economic norms. It's going to disrupt all those landscapes in in real way. Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, if people can now work from home, they can also work from home in their own country. So there is no need for this massive influx of you know, highly educated immigrants moving to countries like the U.S. or Australia. And that's also changing the landscape of some of the countries that I'm used to living in, you know, Philippines, India, for example, where people are realizing that I don't need to leave my country. I don't have to leave my culture. I don't have to leave my family behind to make a career in, you know, U.S. or Europe or in Australia. I can actually become a freelancer and make a good living yeah. Being in India, being uh, living in the Philippines, because people are willing to pay the top dollar if you have the right skills. That's right. No matter where you are. No matter where you are, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about what is kind of the digital generation. I want to go a little deeper into that. We talked about a little bit about, you know, on the surface of how they're transforming the workplace. But as we think about the fact that they're going to make up two-thirds of our population, so this kind of Gen Z Millennial, they're going to make up a pretty hefty part of population for work, which means, by the way, some of the models we've had in place around work where it's like very heavy on the command and control and the butts and seats, and I want to see yep. you, and I need to see what you're working on, and I want you to CC me on everything. Like that trend's leaving. That level of control is leaving. And so what might we expect that we're moving towards as far as a model goes? Sure. So there are three things I write about in the book that they are so different from other generations. Number one, they are technologically savvy, obviously, and they want to work with companies that offer the latest technology. You know, I mean, look at their lives. Gen Zers, I have three nieces, and by the time they were 10 years old, they already had a smartphone in their hand. <laughs> uh, and they have seen the smartphone upgrade itself every two years. They have seen the in internet connectivity speed increase every year. They have seen Siri goes from just being, you know, a voice assistant to being a very smart voice assistant, right? So mm -hmm. they live in a world where everything is upgrading itself on a regular basis. So they want to work with a company that is not married to this legacy system that they installed in 1960, and they're still married to it. They are looking for companies who are, you know, creating an environment where Gen Zs feel at home. So that's number one. The second thing that we need to think about is that they're very entrepreneurial in nature. Think about what it takes today to start a new business, especially an online business. Basically, as long as you have an iPad or a laptop or a phone and internet connectivity, you can practically start any business you want, right? Mm -hmm. Including becoming a freelancer. Mm -hmm. Many of the Gen Zers have seen their peers become a huge name just because they have a massive TikTok presence. I mean, right. you know, there. <laughs> I, I talk about a couple of those and, you know, I, I write that I don't know any of these people. I had to Google them because I'm not familiar with that whole thing. But if you look into that world, you realize that these young people, by the time they're 18 years old, have created a massive followers of <laughs> like 85 million people. Mm -hmm. And uh, suddenly they're getting these great deals to become part of the advertisement or TV serials or many other things, right? So they are entrepreneurial in nature. And unless people can create, unless companies can create this entrepreneurial culture where people can come in and can manifest their ideas, they're not going to be able to attract the best talent from this generation. And the third thing that we need to keep in mind is that even though we think that they are the most narcissistic generation, we think that 
they are the me generation, right? The millennials mm-hmm. have been called the me generation. And, you know, we haven't even given a name to Gen Zers, but we kind of roll our eyes every time we see them. <laughs> but they tend to be the most purpose-driven, the most woke generation to come along in a long time. Yeah. You know, they have seen their own peers, Malala Yousafzai, you know, yes. the who belongs to the very first batch of Gen Zers mm-hmm. who almost got killed and still took a stand against Taliban and is fighting for the rights of women. Uh, They have seen uh, this girl from Sweden, Greta Thunberg, who took on Trump out of all all people. And they see that these people have the power and the potential to take on the biggest issues facing their generation. So one of the things that they're looking for when they're looking for a job is not just someone who is counting their money, who is doing great financially, but they're also looking for companies who are also married to a purpose that is larger than life. So it's very important for companies to have a very strong purpose that can help them rally the troop about a bigger purpose, about a bigger mission. Gosh, yeah. I mean, I think that that is a huge trend we're seeing is that they're only willing to go work at these mission-driven, purpose-driven organizations. And that's such a big part of the puzzle piece for them because they want to believe that they're working on something bigger than themselves, not just to make money, but that matters, that's making an impact on the world. And that's a big deal. And that's a, a huge repositioning, especially for companies that have been around for 50 or 100 years to try to take their whole organization and reposition themselves towards purpose when all they've really been focused on is that shareholder value or that shareholder wealth, gosh, yeah. that's a big disruption in their organization. Absolutely. And, you know, gone are the days, Natalie, where, you know, the only time we heard about companies' purpose was during the shareholder report, the annual report, where there is a picture of CEO giving this big check to a charity. <laughs> and then there is a paragraph about it in the annual report, and that's pretty much it. And then nobody talks about it for a year again. Right Now the purpose has to permeate throughout your organization. It cannot be relegated to a one or two people team that looks after the purpose issue or the you know corporate social responsibility. It has to become part of who the company is. And unless you create that, you're going to come across as uh, people who are just talking, but not really walking the talk. That's so good. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about just innovation and digital transformation. We see a lot of companies, I don't remember the stat, but there's a stat out there on digital transformation that talks about the number of failures. And it's for sure over 80%, if not in the 90% of people that fail at digital transformation and really, honestly, innovation in general. Can we talk a little bit about what you're seeing and maybe some of what you've written about? Yeah, actually, you're right on the dot again. 84% of the companies actually fail at digital transformation. Only 16% succeed. And the biggest reason is that oftentimes companies think that digital transformation is about technology. So, you know, they go to these industry events and they hear about this latest and greatest buzzword in the industry when it comes to technology. And they think that if they buy this technology and insert it into their legacy system, they are going to suddenly transform them digitally. But that's not the case. Digital transformation begins with the end in mind. And what is the end here? You know, there are three sets of end that we are looking for. Number one, how do you enhance your customer experience? Number two, how do you enhance your employee experience? Right? And number three, how do you 
change your business model if needed to stay ahead of the curve. So one of the examples I give in the book is of Domino's Pizza. I used to live in the U.S. and I used to love it. My biggest pet peeve with them at back then was that if you wanted to have a Domino's Pizza, there were only two ways to order it. Either you walk into their store or you call a toll-free number and they deliver it to your home in 30 minutes. Now there are 15 different ways to order Domino's Pizza. There is an app for it. If you don't like clicking through the app, they have given you a zero-click option. If you have already signed into the app with the company, you just have to open the app for 30 seconds or so, and it automatically delivers your favorite (laughs) pizza that they have in their database to your home in 30 minutes. If you don't like even doing any of that, you can just send a pizza emoji to their (laughs) number, and they deliver a pizza in 30 minutes. They also allow you to you know, order the pizza using uh, Alexa or Google Home, uh, just talking, right? So one of the reasons Domino's Pizza, even during the COVID-19, did so well, their revenue and margin increased by double digit in 2020, when so many companies actually struggled miserably, right? Why? Because for the last 10 years, they have been at it. They have been digitally transforming their model. And you compare that with Pizza Hut, for example, in last August, they filed for bankruptcy. Their business models are the same. Why does one company do so well and the other doesn't? It's very simple. It's because one has taken the hard road of digitally transforming themselves before they have to. Mm -hmm. And others had waited until this COVID-19 happened and then they decided to embrace it. I want to back up because you said something I love, which is, We have to disrupt ourselves before we're disrupted. And that's kind of how I see digital transformation is it's it's us choosing to disrupt ourselves before we're disrupted by the market, by other organizations that are smaller, more nimble. And so that's like a core value to me, honestly, (laughs) is to think about what disruption's coming and, and figure out how to disrupt yourself before it happens. And so you can see that with the contrast that there that I just love between Domino's and Pizza Hut and all the different ways to order, which also speak to that next generation that we were talking about earlier, right? Because depending on your generational lines, it's going to depend on how you order. And the fact that you can send in a pizza emoji and get a pizza, to me, that just speaks right into that Gen Z millennial kind of category right there. Absolutely. So, I mean, the reason why they have been so successful is they didn't get stuck in the means to an end, right? They didn't spend all their energy focusing on, okay, what technology are we going to buy? They started with the end in mind, which was, how can we improve our customer experience? How can we wow them? And everything they did was around that concept. Now, obviously, they also focused on how do we improve our employee experience? Because, you know, you can't really just focus on customer experience when your employees are struggling with technology. So they had to do that, too. And they have done a good job with that. And along the way, they have also changed their business model. Back in... uh, 2006, when I left U.S., if you had to ask Domino's Pizza what business you are in, they would probably say, we are in the pizza business. Now, if you were to ask any of their senior executives, they will say, well, we are a technology company, happens to be in a pizza business. Yeah. So every company, no matter what industry you are in, has to think about how can we become a technology company that allows us to do great things on industry. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I think that Making that switch is how you weather the storm that have already come and that are still yet to come because COVID's not over and, and we're just continuing to see the evolution of what it's looking like. And so 
we have to continue to evolve as well. Can you talk about some of the traits of what you see as companies that are going to be successful in the future? What are some of the things they, they need to have just as part of their culture, as part of their DNA? I think one big thing that I write about in the book is that companies should be married to the timeless aspect of their being, not the temporary aspect. And I know it sounds really spiritual and maybe a little, you know, kind of a voodoo when we are talking about companies, but it's true. And I give an example of Netflix versus Blockbuster. The reason Blockbuster went out of business is because it was married to the temporary aspect of the company. The temporary aspect of the company was their original business model of having brick and mortar stores throughout the U.S. and other countries where people can come in, rent the video, and then they keep it for three days. And if they are late, they would pay late fee. If they don't rewind it back in the days of VCR, I know it probably tells you my age, then there is a rewind fee for that. And they got married to it and they stayed married to it even though the world around them was changing. Yeah. Right? Netflix, on the other hand, was not married to the business model. It was married to the timeless aspect of its being, which is the inherent creativity and ingenuity of its employees. So what happens is Netflix starts its business model in the late 1990s as DVD by mail, a very similar model to what Blockbuster was doing, one doing by mail, the other one in brick and mortar. But in 2007, they made a pivot and they realized that, hey, now actually people can actually watch movies and TV serials by streaming. So they started their business into streaming. In 2013, they realized that I don't think we can just rely on buying these movies and TV products from these big, huge studios around the world. Maybe we need to create our own content. So they started creating their own content and not just any content, but award-winning content, right? I mean, so mm -hmm. within just a few years, Netflix went from mailing movies to making movies, why? Because they were married to the timeless aspect of their being, which was always looking to enhance the employee's creativity, ingenuity, which allowed them to keep pivoting when they needed to. Whereas yeah. Blockbuster, on the other end, got so married to its temporary aspect, their own business model, and forgot that they need to keep reinventing themselves. That's so good. And I think about those gaps, you know, the 1990s to 2007 and then 2007 to 2013. One of the things I see is that their ability to close the gap of how long it took them to pivot from the first change to the second change and probably even more changes, right, that will eventually come. And so the ability to shorten that gap or shrink that gap between the idea and execution and the understanding of what's coming and how to get ahead of it. To me, that's how companies stay afloat. That's how they stay around is being able to shrink that learning gap. That's so, so amazing. I've never actually heard the dates like that. So that brings it home for me in a powerful way. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? No, well, uh, this was great conversation, Natalie. And if people would be interested in knowing more about what I've written in the book, they can check out my book. It's on Amazon. It's called The Future Proof Your Career and Your Company. Flourish in an era of AI, digital natives, and the gig economy. So if they want to hear more about my other initiatives, they can also check out my website, maulikparek.com. Love it. And they can also follow you on LinkedIn and Instagram as well, which I hope that you guys will go follow right now. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Natalie. It was a great pleasure. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership and visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at Territory.co.